Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8, as we continue our summer series through the book of the Psalms, or what has been called the Psalter. David, again, is our author. And the psalm begins with a superscription for the choir director. And as we discussed a few psalms ago, uh, that, that's one word in the Hebrew, which can also mean unto the end. And there's an early tradition of Christian interpretation and Hebrew interpretation as well that, that believes that is not just telling us that this is a song to be performed in corporate worship, but that it is an indication that David is specifically writing about the end, which is interesting because we're going to read a lot about what seems to be the beginning, and yet David tells us he's writing about the end. So join me in reading what I no doubt believe you will find to be a familiar psalm, Psalm chapter 8. For the choir director on the Gittith, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you thought of him? And the son of man that you care for him, yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Would you pray with me? God, help us to comprehend what David is saying to us about your majesty and about the good end that we can enjoy through Jesus that is not just like the beginning, it's even greater. We thank you and praise you for the gospel and what it does in lives and in families and in churches and in homes and even in countries and communities. And we pray, God, that you would help North Roanoke Baptist Church to stay latched to the gospel, trusting, God, that you're going to bring victory in our lives and in our communities that could only be explained by the power of God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 8 has captured the attention and the affection of Christians down through the ages because, as Kidner writes, it is an unsurpassed example of what a hymn should be. Celebrating, as it does, the glory and grace of God, rehearsing who He is and what He has done, and relating us and our world to Him, all with a masterly economy of words. It means He's pretty brief, but also powerful. In a spirit mingled, get this, with joy and awe. This psalm is written, like Psalms 4 and 5, unto the end. And David's goal is to remind us that God's adversaries, do you see that in verse 2, will be stopped in the most unlikely of ways. King David faces adversaries. And he points us to a day when God will stop his adversaries. 
God has not forgotten the world that He created and the purposes for which He created it. We've been learning in our Sunday school hour right here in this time of worship that sin took us out of God's good design, but when we believe the Gospel, we are enabled through the Holy Spirit who indwells us to recover and pursue the design that God has for our lives. His, His design for our work lives, our home lives, our parenting, our marriage, our work. And He has not abandoned the meticulous care, verse 4, that He has for those who belong to Him. Psalm 8 communicates this truth to us by showing us that to understand the good end, what happens to us in Christ, we must understand it in light of the good beginning. You can't understand what God is doing for you in Jesus if you don't understand what God was doing in Genesis 1. If you want to understand the God who is calling you to know Him and enjoy Him and worship Him, then your vision of God and what He wants to do in your life must be as wondrous and as glorious and as majestic as it was for Adam when he took his first breath and looked around. Whoa, what just happened here? Who is this God that made me? When he took his first breath and realized the eternal, omnipotent God chose to form him from the dust of the earth. And this same God came by His Holy Spirit and chose to make you His child though you were dead in your trespasses and sins. To enjoy, to experience something of the joy and the awe that comes in knowing the Lord. We must with David understand God's purpose for our new creation in light of His first creation. To enjoy the surpassing beauty of the Lord. The word majestic means beauty or splendor or glory or surpassing beauty. Is God beautiful to you? Is He majestic to you? Perhaps you've been around the things of God for a long time. Maybe He even saved you, but something of the the beauty and the majesty and the grandeur of who God is has, has worn off a bit in your life. And to enjoy the surpassing beauty of the Lord, we we can learn in Psalm 8 how that can happen. First, the Lord must be our Lord. Second, the vision that we have for the knowledge of God's greatness must be global. Thirdly, we must understand God uses the weak to overcome His enemies. Fourthly, we must marvel at God's care for us in Christ. And finally, we must fulfill our purpose in Christ. First, the Lord must be our Lord. It's easy to pass over, but David doesn't begin, O Lord, the Lord. He says, O Lord, our Lord. The Lord's name, how majestic is your name. The Lord's name represents His identity, His character, His power, His mission. And it is a name that we can delight in only if the Lord is our Lord. You can't enjoy Him. You can't enjoy how beautiful He is, how marvelous He is, if He's not your Lord. Why do I delight in the names Stacy, Samuel, and Elizabeth? It's because they aren't just names in a book that I'm reading. They aren't just names on a page, names that I've heard about, names that I've had a passing acquaintance 
with. They are names of people with whom I have a personal relationship. They are names that stand for people that I know and I love and I enjoy. So it must be with us and the Lord. He must be our Lord. You cannot delight in the Lord until you know the Lord Jesus Christ. Until you know God the Lord as your personal Savior. As Kidner writes, the God whose glory fills the earth is our Lord. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. But secondly, our vision for the knowledge of God's greatness must be global. You know, it's so easy to settle for a limited vision of what God wants to do in our lives. To reduce what God wants to do with you and through you and through North Roanoke Baptist Church to you or to your marriage or to your family. And and that's it. That's all God wants to do. Here's King David. I imagine that was particularly tempting for King David. He's the anointed king of Israel. He's king over an expanding kingdom, largely at peace, and things are going well. And what would have been David's temptation? Let's just settle in and remind ourselves that God is the Lord of Israel. But is that what he says? He says, oh no, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in Israel? In Jerusalem? No, in all the earth. God's plan for David king and his kingship was not just for Israel. It was a global mission all the way back at the time of David. But unlike many Israelites who wanted to reduce the mission of God just to their country, David does not commit the sin of Israel. He does not forget that God's mission is as big as His creation. Beginning to think, he doesn't begin to think that there's something special about them other than the fact that God called them to get us to Jesus and then limiting the mission to Israel. Instead, David reminds us that God's name, the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord Most High, is to be known as majestic in all the earth. And when we begin to lose sight of the global mission of a global God who made all the earth and all humanity, every tribe and tongue and language and nation, that is when we begin to lose something of the joy and the grandeur as we behold the Lord whose name is majestic in all the earth. The nations surrounding Israel during the reign of King David worshipped local gods. A God who was only for their tribe, their land, their country, their culture, their ethnic group. But, God, but David's God and our God is the Lord. And great, Psalm 96, 4 and 5 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He's to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. In other words, our God is over all. And our Lord didn't just make the heavens. But He has displayed, do you see that in verse 1? Literally set His splendor above the heavens. He is over all that is created. And that means there is no human on the planet who does not owe God their supreme allegiance. As we read in Psalm 113.4, the Lord is high above all nations. Did you know the Lord is even over the United States of America? Did you know that there will be a day when we get to heaven and our national allegiances will look like nothing compared to our allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
There is a day when every tribe and tongue and language and nation will swear an oath and a fidelity to Christ and to Christ alone. And we are to be the community of people who are doing that right now so that people, no matter where they come from in the world, know that our allegiance is to our King. He is over all nations. The Lord's people truly enjoy the Lord when they embrace the idea that His name is to be known as majestic among all the peoples in all the earth. Joy comes when we are captivated by the biblical vision and the Spirit-given passion for working toward the day when the majesty that God has... Get this. I love this. He's already majestic. He does, I've heard some people say, man, we, just, we, need to, we need to make God glorious in all the earth. And I appreciate the sentiment, but I don't need to make God glorious. I don't need to give God an assist. I don't need to help Him out. He is majestic. He is glorious. He is weighty. He is heavy. There is nothing greater in the universe than the God who stood before the universe ever existed. He is majestic. But the majesty that He has is not yet a majesty that all the world recognizes. David sees a day when the majesty that our Lord has is a majesty that will be declared and enjoyed and embraced by every tribe and tongue and language and nation to the ends of the earth. The supremacy and the majesty and the splendor of God in all things must find its expression in a way that is consistent with God's greatness. It's not enough, North Roanoke Baptist Church, for us to have a limited vision of what God wants to do. Do you remember what Isaiah says of the Messiah when He comes? He says, it's too small of a thing that you would be My servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. Get this, I will also make you a light to the nations so that My salvation may reach where? To the end of the earth. Why do we want to be Christ church? Why do we want to impact the Roanoke Valley? And why do we not stop there? Why do we go all the way to say we want to reach the world for the glory of King Jesus? Because He is the majestic Lord and the nations are waiting to hear of His majesty. There is salvation in no other name. The God who is over time and space and all created things is a God who will be honored in all the earth. And that's a mission you can pledge your life and your love to and know that it will not fail even in the days that it seems like it's failing. Thirdly, we must believe God uses the praises of the weak to overcome His enemies. The counterintuitive wisdom of God could not be more on display than in verse 2. The king of Israel declares that the Lord's adversaries, his enemies, the vengeful, will be overcome, silenced, or caused to cease, not with the display of military might. David, David is over the king that's the big daddy on the block. Okay, God has given him military might, expanding territory, and what does David say in Psalm 8? God's enemies will be caused to cease through the mouths of infants and nursing babes. What? Not, not military might, not military strategy, not nuclear bombs and ingenuity, but through babies? Through kids? 
The Lord of all the earth will establish His everlasting kingdom on the earth with a strength or a bulwark, a defensive wall that cannot be broken, that comes through children. What are you talking about, King David? Wake up, buddy. Muster the military. Oh no, it's going to happen through kids. How do we know that what David spoke of is true? We know because... Our king on Palm Sunday quotes from verse 2 to oppose the the chief priests and the Pharisees who believed that they could earn or deserve the kingdom of God. Who thought that God was going to bring it in through political, military might. In Matthew 21, we read this. Jesus has just cleansed the temple. He's thrown out the money changers and the Pharisees and their system of profitability and making the poor feel guilty and using their money to prop up themselves. All that is being thrown out and undone by Jesus. And then Jesus, it says, the blind and the lame came to Him in the temple and He healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that He had done and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David, they became indignant and said to Him, Do you hear what these children are saying? And listen to what Jesus says. Jesus said to them, Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise for yourself? Jesus says, I know you've read Psalm 8 millions of times, but you haven't read it correctly even once. If you had read Psalm 8 correctly, you'd have been looking for Jesus to come and to bring healing to those who were lame and those who were broken and those who were sick. And you would have known that God would have brought together a children for Himself to recognize it and to establish the strength of God in the world. But you missed it. You should have expected Me to come and to heal, but you missed it. It. And you know what? God is still shutting the mouths of His enemies through the praises of His children. When God is performing miracles through Peter and John, the leaders ask them to stop talking about Jesus. And what do these new children of God say? We cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. And you know what? God is still using children like the children of God gathered and called North Roanoke Baptist Church to speak with a boldness that children speak with. Don't you love kids? They'll just tell you what you're thinking, what they're thinking. You don't have to ask my kids to nuance it or creatively say what they're thinking. They'll just tell you what they're thinking. And so it is with the children of God whose hearts have truly been radically transformed by the Holy Spirit of God. I can't do anything but say to you that God changed my heart. I was a sinner bound for hell. I was a sinner bound for eternal death. And now I'm on the highway to heaven because Jesus came and made me new. And that is the message that causes the enemies of God to cease, to shush, to be quiet. And it does it in one of two ways. Either they oppose you and ultimately are cemented in their rebellion against God, or God makes the enemy a friend just like He did to you. Because you were once dead in your trespasses and sin as well. And God shut your mouth and He gave you a new song in your heart and a new message to declare. And God is still establishing strength in the most ridiculous of ways. Through beggars telling other beggars where they can find bread. 
Fourthly, we must marvel at God's care for us in Christ. Verses 3-5 through are an incredible defense against what I like to call sideways energy in the life of of a believer or the life of a church. There's seldom a month goes by that somebody doesn't raise a question or an issue or a challenge that that has some legitimacy and some importance to it, but I want to go back to Psalm 8 and say, do you see what God did for us? Are you in love with Jesus? Have you been captured by what God did for us? Is this this really what we want to talk about? Or do we want to talk about what God did for us in Christ? It's so easy to begin to think, though we wouldn't say it this way, I've been doing this faith thing for a long time, and, and God owes me something. Or He needs me. Or at least he should be glad that I'm on his team. I mean, what would God do without me on his team? But David does not begin with humanity. He doesn't begin with himself, but he begins in the heavens. In verse 3, he does not say, when I consider myself. Instead, he says, when I consider your heavens. So often we miss out on delighting in our majestic God. Why? Because we frame our questions from the wrong perspective. You know, take a picture, and the lighting's bad. We were, Frank Beamer was here yesterday, two days ago, on Friday, and people were getting autographs signed and getting photographs taken with Frank Beamer, and some of them, the lighting was terrible. And I wanted to say, you know, if you move over here, we might actually be able to see your face. And some of you are always asking about why is God doing this to me? Why is this happening to me? Me, 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 me. And if you take the picture and the photograph of your life and what God is doing with you from the perspective of starting with you, you'll never get it. But if you start with the God who is majestic and who's over all the heavens and all the earth and every tribe and tongue and language and nation, and He is mindful of us, when I think about the vastness of His creation and the orderliness of His creation, the sun and the moon that you've placed in reliable orbit, when I think about the universe and black holes and the great big world out there clearly made by an infinitely greater God, I have to ask not, does God see me? Does God care about me? But can you believe that God cares about me what is man that you take thought of him verse 4 or literally that you remember him for God to remember means for God to intervene on man's behalf when man would otherwise be without hope we were hopeless y'all We were hopelessly dead in our transgressions and sins. We were exiled from the garden forever to toil about in the wilderness because we were all in Adam and Adam failed. But God made a way to care for us, verse 4, by sending the second and the better Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, who God made for a little while lower than the angels. Quoting from Psalm chapter 8. You crowned Him with glory and honor, and you put everything in subjection under His feet. Hebrews 2, 7 and 8. You see, although Jesus never stopped being God, He was with respect to His humanity fully man. Not half man and half God. Not a weird mixture of God and man. But fully God and fully man with no confusion of those two natures within His one person. What are you saying? I'm saying that Psalm 8 is pointing us to Jesus 
Who is this man that you remember him and that you care for him and for a little while you set him lower than the angels? This is pointing us to the man who is the second Adam who would die for us. Jesus assumed the limitations of our humanity to rescue us from Satan and sin and death. And the only way was for Him to become as we are. Later in Hebrews chapter 2, the author continues. He says, because we share in Jesus' flesh and blood, He Himself partook of the same, that through death He might render powerless Him who had the power of death, that is, the devil and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. He had to be, get this, made like His brethren in all things, so that He might become a merciful high priest in things pertaining to God, making propitiation for the sins of His people. For since He Himself was tempted in that which He has suffered, He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. What are you struggling with this morning? What what sin so easily entangles you? Did you know that God sent Jesus and He willingly stepped out of heaven and assumed our humanity to walk through life as you have to walk through life under the power of the Holy Spirit and not once did He sin. And there is a care for you that God has because of the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came and ran the race for you. Jesus, verse 5, is forever crowned with glory and majesty. It's a glory and a majesty that we can share in and enjoy because Jesus didn't die, just die for you. He was raised for you. And Philippians 2 tells us that because He was raised on the third day that the Father has given Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And as Paul says in Romans 5, by the grace of the one man... Jesus Christ, the gift of God's grace, abounds to the many who trust in Him. We can be renewed to what God intended in the garden because of a second Adam who came and died to bear our sin and raise us up to new life in Him. Finally, we must fulfill our purpose in Christ. See, Psalm 8 isn't just about Genesis 1, it's about 2017. It's about the fact that in Jesus we've been renewed to the very purposes that God intended in the beginning that we left when we fell out of God's favor and we left the garden because of our sin. Genesis 1 commands humanity to do what? To rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the cattle over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And then look at verses 6 through 8 in Psalm 8. It doesn't take us long to rebel against God, get tossed out into the wilderness to bear the consequences of our rebellion, but God came on a full scale rescue mission. He did not just come to give us everlasting life, but to renew us to God's original purposes for creation in the here and now. So many of us get saved and then we sit in a pew the rest of our lives and we don't know what we're here doing. God has things for us to be doing and He wants us to be subduing the earth for the 
king that we serve. What is God's mission? His mission is to have a people in His place strategically deploying the resources that He puts in their hands to multiply the number of people who are in His place all the way to the ends of the earth. A kingdom mindset. Worshiping Jesus who died for us requires that we have a kingdom perspective on the things that God entrusts to us. Why does He allow us to subdue the animals and the resources all around us. Why does He do this? Because He is the ultimate subduer. In 1 Corinthians 15, we read this. God in Christ is delivering the kingdom after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For Jesus must reign until He has put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under His feet. Jesus is the ultimate subduer, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And if you are in Christ, the second Adam, who renews you and restores you, then you are in Him in the mission of letting the world know of His majestic name. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we come to You as a broken people. Broken on behalf of our community and our country. And Lord, we, we come to a psalm like Psalm 8 that reminds us that You are a God not just for us, but for the world. Your glory and Your beauty and Your majesty and Your splendor, it demands and deserves a response. And God, we confess to You, there are times that, that we don't take delight in Your goodness and in Your majesty. So Lord, we ask that You would begin with us. That You would fill us up to overflowing with the message of the Gospel. And that it would so permeate and fill our lives that we would become and be a people who shows the watching world that what the world can't fix and what the world can't heal is something that Christ has already come to heal. And that we would be a growing people declaring, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know what your need is this morning. Maybe you just need to be renewed in your walk with Christ. We invite you to come and spend some time in prayer. Maybe you're looking for a church home. You're looking for a church that believes that the name of God de demands and deserves a response to the ends of the earth. And you want to be a part of a church that wants to get the gospel there. We invite you to come and join the team. That's what we are. We're a team for Jesus. Whatever your need this morning, we invite you to come as we sing.